Hey everyone, I'm Randall alongside Bob and Joseph. Welcome to Formidable Opponents, episode eight, a show that pits three people who have known each other virtually their entire lives in a series of conversations as we argue what is best in a variety of fun, engaging, and critical topics we all debate about. So episode eight, we're talking about best 90s rock song. A lot to unpack, a lot to uncover today. Bob and Joseph, how are you guys doing? Doing very good. It was a nice day. Yeah, <laughs> doing great, doing great. I've been waiting a long time to talk about this topic. Yeah. So normally for, for you listeners out there, we release an episode every Monday. Yesterday was Easter, so we were pretty busy, didn't get an opportunity to meet up. But today is the actual 27th year anniversary of the death of Kurt Cobain. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So how fortuitous we're we're talking about it during a, a, an anniversary, maybe not the best anniversary, but we're talking about it today, uh, something that's very significant. And of course, we'll get to him later. But today we wanted to talk a little bit about what makes a good 90s rock song. So just to give you guys a little history and Bob, Joseph, whenever you guys want to jump on in and talk a little bit about this, please feel free. To me, the 90s was rock taking a leap back into the mainstream. When growing up, and I, I think you guys remember, rock was shunned to MTV shows like Headbangers Ball, 120 Minutes. You'd get maybe two to four hours a week of, of rock music on MTV. 90s rock, when it started off, it was pre-internet and the infancy of the internet. So we started really developing a following, mass-produced hits. We got a lot of people listening around the world. Uh, it was the last true decade where culture was centralized and hits mattered across the board. It was the zeitgeist of that rock era It was that was felt. And mainstream stars were made and celebrated. Stars were made through rock. It was a carnival and it was integrated. MTV was now focusing on rock. Rock radio stations were emerging again. Now, today, guys, I listen to Alt Nation and really good. And there's some really good songs out there, but they aren't as big or the artists aren't as big or relevant when they when they hit the pop stations three or four months later. But they are vetted and carefully picked. I don't think rock is the same anymore. I think you listen to rock on Alt Nation and, and it'll go to pop music. It'll go to a pop station and it, it's not really as relevant. I think rock as a connector is no longer an erudite figure. We no longer forecast or foresee popular crossover takeovers. And even popular musicians are sounding more and more alternative. It's kind of mixing in a little bit. It's, it's, it's bleeding and blending. With their production teams and money, long gone are the long shots who can take an inexpensive attempt and turn it into a mega sensation. Independent labels mattered. They don't matter anymore. And in the 90s, for rock at least, it was the Wild West, as the musical landscape was steep in rock sound and diverse in category. It was like a big ice cream parlor and the wooden spoon samples were all delicious. Now, you can have loud, you can have quiet, you can have smart, angry. Now, guys, let me know if I miss anything here. We started the, the 90s era with hair metal and new wave. Uh, we had the emergence of alternative rock. Then heavy metal was there, indie rock, ska, pop rock, electronic, in industrial rock, new metal, punk, pop punk, rap rock, and whatever the fuck Marilyn Manson was supposed to be. So what are you guys, what are you guys, what were your thoughts about the 90s, growing up in the 90s and listening to, to this type of music? Well, I love how you talked about the evolution of rock, especially in the 90s. You know, I think it goes back to the 70s. The 70s taught us that rock and roll can be expressed in a bunch of different ways. You know, you had, you had metal and Sabbath, you had psychedelic and Pink Floyd, you had punk like the Ramones, and then you had that 
beautiful mix of blues and hard rock like Zeppelin. And then we moved to the 80s. And of course, we had the the, the glitz and glamour of the hair bands, that upbeat, poppy commercial type of music with a shitload of perms and cocaine and shit, right? That's what the 80s was all about. Spandex. And, and then spandex, of course. And then the 90s came along and I, and I felt like uh, it changed. I felt like everything changed again. It evolved again. 90s made rock relevant again. Not saying that 80s rock music wasn't relevant. You know, 80s rock music was great for what it was. But again, we saw those genres like in the 90s. Like you said, we saw those alternative, you know, the the punk rock, the the hard rock, the metal, everything started to evolve. And it was all carved out of this, this like angst and anger and distortion. And, you know, the evolution of rock and roll, man, I mean, it, it's, it was all badass. And it was a huge change because it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows like the 80s. It, it, is, it was all relatable and cultural, like you said. It was it was a little bit fucking depressing. It was a little bit angry. It was all relatable as hell. It was the the birth of grunge, which I think is the sound of '90s rock and roll. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There was definitely um, a new age, a new uprising. I think people at some point were just sick and tired of of the '80s glam, you know, stuff. Shit got you know old after a while. People were tired of it. There was a group of um, kids out there that were. It wasn't for them, you know. The, the '80s glam thing was—it it wasn't their scene, and 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 like Bob said, it, it, we saw the uprising of grunge. There's this group of uh, this community of, of of kids and adults uh, who just didn't feel that way, and you know, or were pissed off or angry, like you mentioned. And they had something to say themselves, and 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 that's what sparked, I guess, the revival of uh, rock in the '90s, and which led, which brought us more. Um, great genres uh, of the 90s like you mentioned plenty of them i think one of the the biggest things uh that i remember about the, you know the the change of of 90s uh rock was um i can't remember his name maybe you you remember randy there was a when they when they first came out with headbangers ball the original host was a uh, was this guy i can't remember his name i know it's uh, it was a ricky rackman it was it was no. a, adam um Gosh, Adam something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and he Adam he Curry, just, Adam Curry. He yeah. was just and he was the worst possible host for a show like Headbangers Ball. But he was he was from that, you know, that 80s MTV VJ scene. You know, he he it was just different. And and, and he's even openly admitted to it that it was just a, a horrible choice for him to do or thing to do. He he just he didn't represent what was coming. And yes, uh, Ricky um, Rackman, Ricky Rackman, Rackman came out and, hoped, you know, they finally Got the right formula going with that, which led to uh, you know great shows with like Matt Pinfield. I loved 120 minutes. I was uh, Man, great show. Was awesome. And it so yeah, cool. there, there there really was like um, I blame it. Like I said, I blame it on the 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 just people getting sick and tired of the the 80s glam stuff, which led to this actual great time in 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 90s rock music and and really 90s music in general. I mean, we're we're kind of biased. We we all know that's our our, our great um, generation. Uh, one thing I think that we left left out was this new era of of lead singers and frontmen for these '90s rock bands that all made them stand out and and, and reach this like like pinnacle of greatness. You know, you had Cobain, you had Wyland, you had Lane, you had Cornell, you even had you know James yeah. Hetfield, Billy Corgan. You know, the list can go on and on and on. There's so many great lead singers and frontmen that that push these just grunge or, or hard rock bands into like this next tier this next level and, uh, uh, of, of amazing uh, sound and bob the, the the another good point about those frontmen is that they were multifaceted they were songwriters they were guys who could play a multitude of instruments they were men and women who brought new instruments into into the fold they were multifaceted and yeah. oftentimes depressed but they were very they were just very <laughs> talented another you one know? too perry perry farrell and, and the whole james addiction thing that was a 
Oh it's yeah, just, Par- it was Farrell just a whole. Was, um, yeah. I mean, you can't call it. Nobody would say Jane's Addiction is just grunge, but it's it. You could just, say alternative, it, maybe alternative. It just speaks to the different, you know, ju- different types of genres of rock music that were out there in the nineties. Great time. It was a great time. It was a great time to be a music fan too. Great time to to go to concerts. Before we get to our selection. As a reminder, we're arguing what is the best 90s rock song. Uh, we're going to step into our honorable mentions. And just to give everybody a note, we know sometimes we gloss over some honorable mentions talking to the people who told us we forgot to mention Chuck Norris last week when we did Biggest <laughs> Action Hero. We do forget sometimes, but it's you guys email us, remind us, call us, let us know. So we're going to talk some honorable mentions. And as I mentioned last week, we covered Biggest Action Hero. And of course, with Stallone, we mentioned Creed a lot. We're not going to fucking mention Creed for for, for any of the categories today. Can I take you higher? <laughs> Give me some of your uh, honorable mentions, Bob. Tell, tell us some of the songs that didn't quite make the cut. Well, I feel like Green Day's Dookie album, Green Day's Basket Case, I mean, was was that that bringing that punk rock back into the '90s? Great single, uh, great album, actually. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots' "Interstate Love Song," the Chili Peppers "Under the Bridge," yeah, Bush "Glycerin," Soundgarden's "Black Hole Song." What one in particular that I had a really big struggle with that I thought about choosing later? Of course, I didn't end up going with the song was Metallica's "Enter Sandman." Mm, we're gonna that talk feel, about that. Yeah, we're, we're speaking of, of headbangers. I mean, I think that's the headbangers anthem of the '90s. That song was. Everything that you're looking for in a hard rock song, you can bang your head to it, you can cruise to it, you turn up the volume to it. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those great, great songs. And we're talking about Metallica here, who's put out song and album through the years that have all been huge hits and all been great. But I think Andrew Sandman in the 90s, it, it was just the epitome of what a hard rock song should be. I'm glad you mentioned Inner Sandman, Bob, because we're good. I was going to talk about that in terms of band of interest, song of interest. But since you mentioned it already, let's go ahead and talk about it a little more. And Joseph, you're sort of our resident uh, heavy metal enthusiast. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, how many times have you been asked by Cholos in high school detention? Hey, are you a rocker? No, anyway. Uh, but <laughs> but Inner Sandman, give, give me your thoughts about that particular song, Metallica in that era, and, and what you felt when you when you heard that song or when you hear that song. To be honest with you, I mean, I'm not saying that I, I don't love the song. It definitely uh, represented a change in the sound uh, for Metallica. I mean, clearly, it, it wasn't a bad change. It wasn't, uh, it was just, it was very different. You could hear the production value, I guess, if you want to say um bob rock brought this different style and and feeling towards the actual recording because if you listen back to just pretty much anything before the, the black album they they really stuck to their thrash roots a lot of people might say you, you know even the hardcore fans some that still love metallica but they might still say that this was a change to a more uh radio friendly uh metallica a more um commercialized metallica and I can see that argument, but I don't necessarily agree with it because there are the, the thrash roots are still uh, very prominent on that album with um, Holier Than Thou. Um, there's an, another great song off of that album. Of Wolf and Man is a great song. But as far as my feelings on it, still great song. Obviously, you know, if you if you were in any kind of situation where, you know, I, more so, I guess, sports and that song came on or if you're lifting weights or something. Yeah. Or if you're just getting ready to go, like, you know, give a speech, put that shit on. You walk around the back and just bob your, you know, bob your head up and down. Maybe get yourself ready to go. And so that was a great song. And I, I, I can't argue um, that's not a great, you know, ninety song or that it was. It affected really the style of Metallica. 
so Metallica had dominated the the metal charts for a decade now. They're selling gold record after gold record. They're selling out arenas, maybe closer to six to ten thousand. Now they released a black album and they say to themselves, now it's time to make our money. We're not teenagers anymore. We're we're heading into our 30s. The Beatles matured, Pink Floyd matured, all these other bands that are legendary. They had their concept albums and they had their their growth. So I think Metallica thought, hey, like you mentioned, Joseph, people put in our they put our songs in at the gym, business people at the office or cooks at the at the kitchen, people in <laughs> yep. their cars. Why can't we make something that is still metal? But it's pop metal and we can make a buttload of money, get a lot more of our audience integrated to the songs that they like from our from our former albums and just spread our wings and fly. Essentially, I think that's what I I think that's what they were thinking. Yeah. Well, I also think that they they, like you said, I think they evolved thrash metal kind of changed. And if you wanted to stay doing that, you know, you would always have that cult following, but you would not be known as, you know, one of the best rock bands that's ever played, has ever lived. And I think they just evolved into that new hard rock, alternative rock uh, change in the, in the 90s. They evolved into the 90s style of music instead of what they were doing before. Are you guys both okay with, with that um, evolution? I know some of their follow-up albums weren't as, as, as great. I'm very much okay with it. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan regardless. I know... Uh, after that came Load and Reload and, and what is considered the the bluesy metal Metallica, I guess, which I, I dug. Those. You know, I, I really dug it. It's really cool. I mean, and they did it. They took a chance. They It worked for me. I know. I mean, did they really care whether you liked it or not? No. And, and that's what's cool to me. I mean, I, I thought they were great albums regardless. And, and they've gone more towards their thrash roots as of... Uh, as of now. So, I mean, it, it's cool. They did what they did. I mean, they're the biggest metal band in the world. And I think they're still kicking. I mean, we've seen them live once, thankfully. One of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my life. It was just a real privilege to see them. So now, we, Bob, you mentioned your honorable mentions. Joseph, why don't we talk about your honorable mentions for, for best 90s rock song? Like Paranoid Android from Radiohead. Uh, oh, good one. That's a, you know, that's another genre in itself. The punk rock of, of the 90s, When I Come Around uh, by Green Day. Alanis Morissette. You ought to know. Great song. I sure. actually like uh, Ironic more, but yeah, I know ironic. she's more famous for uh, for uh, for that one. Did you mention Alice in Chains, dude? I'm sure you mentioned Alice in Chains. Maybe Man in the Box. Uh, oh, yeah. Started, that, that song kind of kicked everything off. When, when I know you know. I know it's 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 not necessarily uh, hard rock, but I mean, Wonderwall by Oasis was oh, yeah. was I, I mean, this huge hit, you know, great, yeah, great song, song, too. You know, the hippie guy the hippie rock from the 90s the blind melon with the you know no rain we had to bring oh yeah i was gonna say we had to bring the beatles into 90s grunge era that was oasis (laughs) oasis is great and any other selections joseph pretty much you know any like i can't not mention i i don't think i did uh nirvana uh come as you are um heart shape box always one of my favorite songs heart shape box i can hear that song anytime it comes on really love it I think for some of my honorable mentions, I, I think you guys mentioned a whole bunch of them. I had, and of course, there could be, we could probably sit down and yeah. list 40 or 50 songs. True. Oh, yeah. you it, know? it would be really hard to you know? make so this it's, list. It's really tough. I had Creep by Radiohead. I had a Wonderwall Oasis, Alive by Pearl Jam. I put I Alone by Live. I don't think it was their best song. I like All Over You, but for commercial reasons, I think I Alone just was their signature song. Uh, Mr. Jones by the Counting Crows. I think very underrated. <laughs> a lot of people don't consider that rock, although it, it it is, you know, it is what it is. It's 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 fun, it's poppy, but 
you know, it's a great song. I think uh, Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, Buddy Holly by Weezer, Bob, you mentioned Under the Bridge. I like Linger a lot by the Cranberries and uh, Big Empty by Stone Temple Pilots. Now, Bob, you and I were texting back and forth about this. STP had the misfortune of coming out of the gates and sounding like Pearl Jam, some people thought. And everyone accused them of bolstering their portfolio through Grunge Association. And that wasn't fair to them. What, what are your thoughts on that? Did you do any any reading or background on the Pearl Jam STP yeah, comparisons? Well, I mean, uh, I honestly think it's laughable how people can think uh, that that Pearl Jam and, and STP were were or STP was a knockoff or a sound alike. First off, I just I just want to say this. You know, speaking of still alone and Arnold Schwarzenegger and people who can't speak where the shit, you know, Eddie Vedder, you can't understand what the fuck he's uh, saying. Don't no, make fun of him. I love Eddie Vedder. <laughs> hey, you can love him all you want, but I mean, I mean, he doesn't even articulate when he speaks, when he sings Scott Weiland is completely different from Eddie Vedder in sound, in type of music. I mean, he, he fits more of the, you know, you said grunge, but I mean, I've always thought SDP was more like alternative. They have some more of the, the, the pop rock, they have a lot of different flavors, they even have some blues and tripping on a hole with a paper heart. I just don't see the correlation or the connection, how people can say that Eddie Vedder and Scott Weiland, because really that's who they're comparing, not the band sound, yeah. because you know everybody sounded like grunge at that time. Comparing those two head to head, I don't think that there's any correlation there. What, what do you think, Joseph? I disagree with that very much so. I, I, I To say the people out there, and I'm not, I'm not saying you, you, you didn't say that, Randy, but the people that are out there that, that do say the type of shit like that is they're two different bands and, and to, yeah. I mean, if you want to just go on, on vocals alone, Bob's right. You know, you have better going, you know, you don't know what the fuck he's saying. <laughs> just had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> but You know, speaking of that, put that on pause, Joe, because what I'm thinking with a lot of people, because you just brought up a good point, even flow, he stresses the ease in the middle of the song. I think on plush Scott Weiland stresses the ease in the middle of words. So, you know, when he says, oh, I'm feeling, so it sounds like even, it sounds like even flow feel. If, I think that's where a lot of people drew the comparison. I know David Spade uh, made oh, a joke about it. He stole it from the monkeys because the monkeys if, have too many fucking E's in their name. If they want to, <laughs> if they want to base it on that one song alone, that's crazy. Everybody, if you know, if you know Stone Temple Pilots, at least old Stone Temple Pilots, not new Stone Temple Pilots with whoever it is, is their new singer. Classic Stone Temple Pilots and, and Scott Weiland himself, he was heavily influenced by David Bowie. He he was not he was so heavily much, influenced. You know, if you <laughs> if you want to, not not in. Uh, uh, we've had this discussion before. We 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 called it a a cross between um, um, Robert Plant. Robert Plant. There you go. Thank you. And and David Bowie in performance wise in character. You, you look at the way Scott Wyland would would perform and move on stage. The the get up the costumes. I mean he. He want if you want to say he he didn't obviously sound like David Bowie, but if you want to say that he wanted to be somebody or to emulate anybody, it's David Bowie. And to say that like they were ripping off Pro Jam, I mean it's I mean it's completely different music yeah. styles. Though. I mean, it really it, is. It was a thing back in the nineties. I, I David Spade made a joke on SNL, and a lot of people were saying that you know Pearl Jam coming out first, even Flo coming out ninety two, Plush coming out ninety three. That they were, but I agree with you guys. This is not an argument about uh, who's the better lead singer or, or who's a knockoff or whatever. I'm just saying that was a thing and, and that was prevalent. I think Stone Temple Pilots carved their way out of it. I think the only thing about Stone Temple Pilots is that they had their demons, uh, particularly mm -hmm. um, 
uh, Scott Weiland. And they, I think they're one of those bands when you, when you look into the rock history, they shortchanged themselves because they could have been a lot bigger than what they were. And that's just my, opinion. I mean, you could say, you could say that about a lot of the bands in the nineties. I mean, Lane Staley and, and, and Allison chains, you True. know, True. Chris Cornell, you know, Kirk Cobain, you know, a lot of these guys had fucked up problems and drug addictions. And I think a lot of their careers fell short because of the drug addictions and, and the demons that they were battling. What does that say about us? Do we have issues? <laughs> These guys I, are here. <laughs> no kidding. Well, it was, it was, it was heavily. I mean, you got it. You got to say that despite all that, there was a genius to all these people. And speaking of geniuses, I know we, we each chose bands and songs that were, that we think are genius. So Joseph, we're going to start off with you and, and your selection. Talk a little bit about what you think is the best rock song of the nineties. All right. So I'd like to say first that, uh, you know, after spending a week listening to uh, the different forms of 90s rock uh, playlists, like all the different genres that you mentioned earlier that we've talked about, you know, whether it was uh, hard rock, grunge, alternative rock, you know, you name it. It was a real uh, hard pick to make. Uh, I hope that it was for you guys as well, because then I, I maybe I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but it was real hard uh, to pick my favorite, uh, what I th- thought was the best 90s rock song although this isn't my favorite 90s rock song i, I mean to even try that would be crazy i i chose it more for uh, its meaning and how it makes me feel and how i think it makes others feel and so with that being said i chose scatman by scatman john and, uh, <laughs> that's, that's like that guy influenced Eddie Vedder, by the way. <laughs> uh, no, my uh, my choice was uh, is Tonight Tonight by the Smashing Pumpkins. Tonight Tonight is is one of the most lasting and memorable Smashing Pumpkin songs. It can also be described as one of their most mysterious songs, depending on how you take your take of it. To me, the song has always alluded to change and uncertainty but ending on a very hopeful note. And that, that always really meant something to me. The impossible is possible tonight. That line, I mean, it's incredible. Billy Corgan has always been a bit short when it comes to explaining what his songs are about, but uh, he once explained that this song was about himself and how he was able to get out of his hometown of Chicago and pursue his dreams. So he, he he's kind of kind of gave that tidbit. So, and that's why I chose this song. I know there are plenty of songs out there that can lift you up, especially from the nineties, bring you out of the dark, but this one, I always felt means the most. I'm not gonna go. Get, I'm not gonna get into. I'm not gonna get into the music video other than tell you that visually, I think it's a masterpiece and that and the best story that could be told based on the song. It did win six video music awards. That's right. MTV used to play music videos. Yes. <laughs> uh, the biggest, the biggest of those awards being the music video of the year. For some reason, you've never seen it. I suggest you do. When I hear this song, I think about youth and uh, uncertainty of what the next step of your life. Uh, is was or is it going to be for me it was uh being a junior high kid getting ready for high school not knowing how the next four years of my life were going to pan out and what type of impact i was going to ha- and what type of impact that was going to have on my future i always felt that i always felt was coming sooner than later you know you get into high school and it's just you know what's next and uh depending on where we were in our lives at the time it was either coming at you real quicker you had to grow up faster I think we had to do that a lot at our age, but the same can be said, uh, uh, you know, for outgoing seniors, you know, what's next for them when they were um, venturing out into the world after high school, when they're going to go to college or they're going straight into the work world, you know, that kind of, that song to me gave these, these individuals or people like me, you know, something to, to think about when I heard it, when I was checking out some of the YouTube comments, I was, I watched this video like six times. 
a day for the last like week to get myself uh, really ready and, and and get into the feeling. When I was watching um, the video, I read some of the YouTube comments and uh, somebody somebody ended up putting the song makes me uh, takes me back to being a geeky 16 year old kid in the 90s, spending long summers with guitars around fires and good friends, beers in our hands and life stretching out forever in front of us. Billy made those nights immortal. Now, this guy's saying that he was a geeky 16-year-old and more than likely he wasn't sitting in front of a campfire playing guitar <laughs> or, or drinking beers. But in front of a it, Nintendo. In front of a Nintendo. <laughs> but it's the message that he said. It's the message of the song. And he and what he said, whether it be true or not, I think uh, resonates with what I was trying to say as a youth. Time is never time at all. You can never, ever leave without leaving a piece of youth. That that line, I mean, it means so much uh, as a as a kid trying to figure out uh, what you're going to you know, do, what you want to be. Most of all, I find this song can be the words you need. Most of all, I find that this song can be the words that you need to hear to take a change, uh, to take a chance on that thing in your life that you're most fearful of, whether it be love, going back to school, finishing school, anything you want to do that you're afraid, but you're afraid to do, you know, afraid to take that leap. This is your song. The line, and you know, you're never sure, but you're sure you could be right if you held yourself up to the light. That's what this is about. It's about taking that chance. It's about not being afraid to to move on, to go on, to stand up or to put it all on the line out there, you know, whatever that may be. It's uh, I know there's still possibility that doing this, putting yourself out there after you've heard this song, getting yourself emotionally ready. Uh, you know, I know that there's that possibility that it can still go wrong, but it's the last line that I'll that I'll finish um, my argument up with. The impossible is possible tonight. Believe in me as I believe in you. And that's why I chose this song, uh, the enduring message, the meaning. And it doesn't have to be nighttime for you to take this chance, but, you know, it could help. I know the song's tonight, tonight, but, you know, this song, if you listen to it, you can take that chance anytime. To me, that's why I chose this song. This song means that to me. And, and I, I think that's awesome. And, and what's crazy is out of the three selections that we chose today, this is actually my favorite song, my favorite song out of all three selections uh, the other two will be speaking of later i mean the chorus the drum beat the orchestra the music video i mean the song really did have it all uh the lyrics like you said you know the 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 one that always gets me of course is the time is never time at all you can never ever leave without leaving a piece of youth like i said it's kind of kind of like that coming of age that that growing up type of song i actually remember it speaking of, of 96 i remember uh, when MTV did show music videos and on New Year's Eve every year, they had the best hundred videos of the year. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching the countdown and watching the countdown. And I always played this guessing game with my sister and, and whoever was there uh, with us at the time. And uh, it came out to the last two, which ironically was Atlantis Morissette number two and tonight tonight by Smashing Pumpkins winning number one video of the year, which I thought was kind of cool. It brought up a, a great memory watching that video. Like you said, watching those, that video over and over this week. Having said that, though, having said that, uh, uh, there's not go. a lot I can argue against tonight tonight Smashing Pumpkins other than uh, one particular thing. It sucked. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't feel like it was it was the best reference presentation of 90s rock granted 90s rock delivered of delivered us plenty of different genres and types of rock and roll but i just don't feel like like it hit with that grunge with that distortion with with what i feel is 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 90s rock i honestly think that that uh, bullet with butterfly wings mm. is is a better representation of of 90s rock and roll you know and if we're going off of 
favorite song or better song, you know, I, I think a hundred percent I'd be with you talking about tonight, tonight, but I feel like, like Billy Corgan's, his voice, his grit, the guitar riff, the distortion in, in, and Bullet with Butterfly Wings just speaks to 90s rock and roll. That's, that's I think, what separates it and, and what, what separates the two. I feel like Tonight Tonight may be timeless. You know, one of those great songs that in any any era, I think it'd be any decade could be one of those great songs and will be one of those great songs. But I feel like Bullet with Butterfly Wings was the 90s, was was more grunge, was more was more distortion. What do you think, Ren? Uh, I love the Smashing Pumpkins. Um a joyful song from a joyless band. I, I love their, I'm a, I'm a deep cuts fan when it comes to Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, I was trying to look for a song. I think Pavement sang a song called Fuck Billy Corgan. I, I couldn't find it, but I, I think it's out there. <laughs> but check it out if you, if you have a chance. Uh, Sounds brilliant. like something Courtney wrote. <laughs> I think she literally did. Uh, brilliant, brilliant lead singer. And he knew he was brilliant. Talking about Corgan. He knew he was brilliant. I think that was his problem. They took themselves way too seriously at times. And this was the apex of that. It took away from the rage, uh, from the wine. You know, I mean, he whined a lot, but it was a good wine. It was the wine we felt as as teenagers and and as people in, in high school and, and the misanthropy. I like their deep cuts. I like I, I'm, I'm going to list some of my favorite Smashing Pumpkin song, Mayonnaise, uh, Rocket, Space Boy, Hummer, Drown. And I love some of their mainstream hits. Uh, Cherub Rock, 1979. Who we, we both love, we all love uh, today. Uh, Bullet with butterfly wings. Uh, progressive rock with brilliant concepts. Sort of like he's the narcissistic know-it-all, and no other Smashing Pumpkin song showcases it like "Tonight Tonight" for Billy Corgan. The song for me, I mean, it's out of bounds for me as a Smashing Pumpkin Smashing Pumpkins fan. I, I do like the song, but it doesn't feel rock. It feels showy. It's orchestra. It's too self-aware. It's too showy. It's like the oatmeal raisin on the cookie tray that is the Smashing Pumpkins discography. I thought you, know? you were going to say Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, Smashing Pumpkins had the misfortune of, co of coming off the heels of Nirvana. So for any, any uh, bands who were as brilliant as Nirvana, which I think Billy Corgan's as brilliant a musician as, as Kurt Cobain is or was, I, he just had that misfortune uh, to die tonight. It was, it was whimsical. It was boisterous. It was, it was cute. Uh, they wanted the stage too much and rock songs are supposed to be deeply personal, but this song is too enormous for me. It's inviting. There's no capture to it. It's too inclusive. I don't want dad tapping on the steering wheel to the drum part. I don't want to collectively sing the hook at a crowded bar. I don't want this song playing at a restaurant when I'm thinking about how spicy I want my pad Thai because it's a family restaurant music cut. I want something deeper when it comes to my rock music. Siamese Dream is an incredible album, cover to cover. Great songs in Melancholy, but Melancholy in the Infinite Sadness, it's more of a we made it. I'm sorry, more than Billy Corgan made it, I should say. It doesn't have the riffs. It doesn't have the charm or work that Siamese Dream has. It's anthemic. The song is, but it's also a predecessor for a band like Arcade Fire and ushering an outlook rather than being wrapped in the 90s lore. I was listening to an interview with Bill Simmons, um, and he had mentioned that if Corgan, if it was Corgan who died instead of Cobain, he'd be hailed as a legend because that would have kept us from 27 more years of a shitty attitude. But I think I think Corgan's uh, I'm sorry, I think Corgan combine their names. I think Corgan is brilliant. I think the song is, is awesome. I don't consider it one of the best 90s songs. I think even if I put a top 20, I know it was a hit. I know the video was was tremendous and 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 they took uh strides to making it that way. But 
I just don't think of Tonight Tonight as rock, especially when you put it up against some of their just distorted guitar, the melodic whine, the the drum and the noise that the Smashing Pumpkins are known for. I think that. OK, I I, 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 I see your all's points. I just if, if it's all going to depend on what you consider rock we just talked about a bunch of other different songs in our honorable mention and and would you really would you say that wonderwall was a a rock song is it any different or is it because it was it's, just an acoustic guitar with the the the, the strings are there it's you a rock hear, song you, you hear the cello but it's not the greatest rock song I, I, no, I'm not, but i was i'm not saying that it's the greatest i'm just saying it's not very rock key or, or you know oh rock like the way you described what you want to hear but you mentioned it yeah um, but i so, think go ahead well no i mean so so i i if you search any 90s rock playlist whether it be on youtube amazon apple music spotify this song is more than likely going to come out Absolutely. and i agree with you with you with i understand what y'all are saying the reason i, I just i i hope that i i made it explained why i chose i felt that at the time, you know, just I, I, the 90s were we were the digital age was coming in, in 2000s. We had all this, you know, I mean, it was released in 96. It was, you know, well before 2000. But the the uncertainty of what was coming in the new um, the new millennium, you know, it was just a it was it was a song to to have hope and to to look forward to. And to. so that's why I chose it. I mean. It's, I, I, that's my thing. I would think to, talk, to to add on to that, Joseph. You know, not to, to side with you in any ways, but we talked about the the '90s being an evolution of rock and roll, and then the genres on genres on genres, and and it could be described in so many different ways. Like you said, Wonderwall, Interstate Love Song. They're not distorted. They're not, you know, they're different. And you said, yeah, you know, tonight, tonight may have been, you know, the, the basis for Arcade Fire. But yeah, because I think that it was all a part of the evolution and the transition of rock and roll, rock. And Role in the 90s could be hard, could be distorted, could be soft, could be acoustic, could be a lot of different things. My only argument against it is when I think of 90s rock, yes, there was a bunch of different genres. The one in particular that stands out is grunge and alternative. I think uh, your Oasis argument, uh, I think Oasis was pretty faithful. They knew where the, what their um, they knew where their lane was. I mm-hmm. think with uh, Smashing Pumpkins and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of harkening back to the Metallica argument. Like where well, you grow, you mature, you sound different. You, mm-hmm. you, you experiment with different um, instruments and you do all this, all, all this new stuff. It's not that tonight, tonight's a bad time. It's just a, I think it's a misrepresentation. If I brought in somebody from another planet who's never heard a Smashing Pumpkins song. And I, I want to say this song rocks. I'm going to play you something from the Smashing Pumpkins. It's not going to be tonight, tonight. It's popular. I get it. And it is a rock song but it's not to me i i just don't feel it when i listen to tonight tonight i don't feel it as as something that will say, say oh yeah that reminds me of a time and a place where i loved music it 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 just reminds me of of a decent song from a band who had much better deeper cuts and much better uh hits i think that's just my opinion okay i hear you <laughs> cool. So, uh, <laughs> Silence. Oh, yeah, this, well, <laughs> that's just my opinion. Into your so, going, you can go into well, here's my opinion. <laughs> Let me tell you something. <laughs> so, no, no, no. I, I, I hear you guys, and and I guess it's the it's that's why we got our listeners out there. They're gonna, you know, yeah. everybody's got and, a different and, point, and, and that's and what's great. Definite, and to to be like the the final touch in it, it was a really hard line to travel to choose bet- to to cross between best song and your favorite song, to be honest with you, 
it's it was really really difficult to distinguish between the two when doing all this research when listening all this music it was really difficult really difficult whether you go with man this is my favorite or well i think this was the best they kind of intertwined a little bit and i could see how joseph it intertwined in your choice yeah so and and overall i i think it's a great great song one of my favorites no it's it's a tremendous song and it it did had it did have its moments what did you pick, Randy? Yes, I, <laughs> let's move on to my selection. My selection, you cannot argue. I chose. Uh, oh, I will. Actually. Oh, you will. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm sorry. Go for it. I picked Everlong from the Foo Fighters. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit why. Everlong, just a great song. Uh, emotion, emotionally packed, uh, emotional content. It's raw and authentic. It just gives you this feeling. This feeling. I wasn't going to go with this song because I felt like Foo Fighters coming into the tail end of the 90s, when they really hit it big, I because when I think of 90s, I think of grunge and I think of everything we mentioned before, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, SCP. But then when I, I started listening to the songs I wanted to, to narrow it down to for this selection, Everlong hit me the most. And it's a song I've probably listened to hundreds of times at bars with friends. Uh, I've seen live bands butcher it. But for some reason, this song just hit me and it stuck with me. I think it's timeless. And Bob, you mentioned Phil Collins earlier and, and my my uh, selection for best heartbreak song was Against All Odds. I think <laughs> I think the buildup for this song is similar. I think this song goes through fa- uh, phases. It starts off, you know, Dave Grohl and the band get really into it. They start building it up. It's an intense emotional period. I think uh, Dave Grohl was... De- um, he was dating Louise Post from uh, Veruca Salt. And it was a time in his life where he had no access to his bank account. Uh, he was he was sort of failing. I know his drummer, uh, William Goldsmith, and uh, his guitarist were on the verge of quitting the Foo Fighters. I know that when they set out that first album, he wasn't happy with the drumming, so he, re- he re-recorded it. The first album didn't do as well as he anticipated, and he was thinking, I was a drummer of Nirvana. That that should care. I mean, I don't know if he was thinking that, but I think he expected that that levity to maybe carry over. But that first album, even though it's a good one, it, it didn't really amount to the success I think uh, Grohl and company anticipated. And in the midst of all of this, he wrote this song in about 45 minutes. Uh, it's been immortalized to a stripped down acoustic version. I don't know if you guys know the story of how the acoustic version came to to I be. I know it was on uh, Howard Stern. Howard Stern, yeah, he was. It was 6 a.m. And Howard Stern wanted him to do Everlong. And he was like, nobody wants to listen to like, you know, loud guitar at 6 a.m. So I'm going to play it acoustically. And he did. Um, Written in 1996, he was sitting in an isolation booth and Gross started strumming a chord, which sounded like a Sonic Youth song. And he he thought he was playing a Sonic Youth song. Lyrics matched and it represented what he felt at the time. And I mentioned the Howard Stern anecdote. Uh, it's criminally overlooked. I think as popular as this song is, I think people overlook it a lot when they when they think of '90s rock songs. I think everybody sort of just floats over to the grunge era. Everybody goes over to the Nirvanas and all these other bands, and they don't really think of Everlong being the pinnacle of '90s rock music. And it came right in the middle of the decade as well. So it kind of was like the hammock to, or the bridge, I should say, to what you know, post grunge was and what new rock was going to be. It communicates to your soul. The only thing that's more wondrous than man's ability to create music is the ability to feel it. And I think the song was felt. I think the song poured out of them. It, it just, it just hit them. And, you know, Dave Grohl's not a guy who could read music. He just started playing it and it just came to life. I know this is arguing what's better, but it's also about inspiration. And I think if the song has a good inspiration, it's going to touch people in a way that inspires them. And when you listen to a song that just rocks, 
great lyrics, lead singer with such conviction and a great story. People are going to love it and grow. He wasn't bequeathed Nirvana's fan base. He had to build it up himself. This song evolved and mutated what 90s rock should be. He was a cultural conduit. And I think David Grohl is one of the best musicians to come out of the 90s. He's the best musician, one of the best musicians living now. And you can extract and extrapolate a lot from a person by the way they tell you how this song makes them feel. So if you talk to somebody, ask them what they feel about Everlong. You're going to get somebody nine out of 10 times who tells you they love the song. They, they have a great story behind it, or, you know, it, it's a great song to chill to. It's a great song to listen to with friends. It's just, it, it checks all the boxes guys. And, and just summing it up. I think I chose this song because it just, it's just amazing. I cannot get tired of this song. It reminds me of so many things. It reminds me of so many people. It reminds me of so many great times. And I, I just don't know how you could argue how this song isn't the pinnacle of nineties rock. Go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, when you think of the Foo Fighters and, and their their beginning, it's the exact opposite of what of what he was in Nirvana. It was like grunge music at Starbucks. You know what I mean? That stupid Mentos or Futos uh, video and song yeah. that they had. You know, there was there was definitely a change. Now, the Foo Fighters, when you talk about Howard Stern and you talk about Everlong, I think of instantly Varsity Blues. Varsity Blues was a movie that came out in the late 90s. It was a football. Mm-hmm. That was actually one of the main songs when, you know, uh, James Vanderbeek is there running down the football field. It I don't actually, want your life. <laughs> yeah, I don't want your life. That's actually a song that I listened to before football games to get me fired up before workouts. I, it, it does tap into some emotional thing, but I think it got me it, it got me more fired up than anything, which is a surprise because, you know, it wasn't a Metallica song. It wasn't a Master of Puppets. It wasn't this, this, this crazy, loud, uh, distorted song. But it did you know, move me in a certain way. It motivated me in a certain way. Dave Grohl, like you mentioned, kicked ass for the past two decades. He's made great rock music. He, he's put out hit after hit after hit. And, and in particular, that acoustic version is one of my top songs of all time. Again, having said that, I do not feel that he hit his stride until his second, third, and fourth album. To, it was in the 2000s. I don't feel like his song, Everlong, made a big impact on 90s rock music. And that's what we're arguing right now is... Mm-hmm. 90s rock song best 90s rock song and its impact i just i just don't think it was felt i think exactly what you said about tonight tonight is what i'm thinking of everlong in the food fighters same thing they both had that great meaning they had those great lyrics so you feel something by it but neither one of them uh defines 90s rock music what do you think joe well i heard what you said and 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 you know i i when i before we got started, I said that this would be uh, that I felt that it was a tough decision uh, for myself. And, and you guys said the same thing. So I've looked at your songs uh, and I said to myself, they're great songs. I, I love them both. You know, they could be on that list of my favorite songs of the 90s. But a lot of the things that uh, you said about about yours, uh, Randy, I believe you said that um, that it, it, it makes you feel um, motivated. Did I, did I get yeah, that right? Yeah, motivated, inspired, um, yeah. Inspired is a lot of the same stuff that I basically just said about mine. Now, mm-hmm. I, your song does have the the the, the fast drums, the, yeah, the, song rocks. the guitar. Yeah, it does rock. Uh, you know, I didn't, maybe I, I, I've heard the lyrics. Uh, I've, I've heard the song so many times. You've seen the lyrics in your head, in your car by yourself when nobody's looking, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, when I actually looked at them i mean the song i'm not getting what you said as far as inspiration i mean it's kind of like a love story to be honest with you the way i look at it but that's my interpretation you know like Mm -hmm. i said where everything's open to interpretation here i don't 
hate your pick. Obviously, I love the song. I just kind of feel like you're you. It's the same feeling that you have when you listen to it is the same way that I feel about mine. And really, our, our arguments are kind of one and the same. Maybe just because yours has a your song has it rocks. You know, yeah, sure. Does it make you want to run? Not really. I mean, I just <laughs> I don't want to run to. Everyone. I think he runs in the video. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Wait, you know that video is confusing as hell. Uh, good video though. But I think. um like to what bob said uh earlier with uh varsity blues i think it was a hero that was featured more in in varsity blues now that song you want to get out there and run and you want to go you hear oh, that yeah. thing you want to go get <laughs> get ready and go you know like, there goes my hero you know so uh i love the pick i'm not going to be uh too negative on yours other than just saying that i think a lot of the stuff you said about how it made you feel is what i said about mine so just i guess different tones of of music i mean how it Yours has a little bit more drums and, and distortion guitars and, and mine didn't, you know, mine had more of the orchestra. Fair enough. I just to, to wrap this one up before we, we hand it off to you, Bob, I, you mentioned hero. Do you guys think there's a, there's a better Foo Fighter song than Everlong? I, you could go to the nineties. You could go to two thousands. Is there a, a better Foo Fighter song than Everlong? Just out of curiosity, sort of um, step inside. February stars and walking after you are pretty fucking good they're also very depressing and and i think joseph hit on a, on a really uh good note i think everlong's a love song or a love story you know i think a lot of the songs that came out on that other than maybe monkey wrench off off of that album had a lot to do with love and heartbreak that bringing up february stars and you know walking after i think after after this song he dated winona Ryder, just like every other lead singer did in the 90s so yeah <laughs> she'll she'll make you write those songs i guess are you um, talking about Johnny Depp? <laughs> <laughs> and Dave Perner from Soul Asylum. He dated her as well. Um, I really liked Monkey Wrench. I mean, that was one of my favorite songs. And that's like a, that from that album, if you're talking about 90s, if we want to go, I mean, but it's really, it's going to be on all on what you're, what you determine is represents the best rock song. Monkey Wrench is a great rock song and it's on that same album. So yeah, there's, I mean, your question, is there a better song than Everlong? Yeah, I think there is. I mean, I really like Everlong, but I, I really like a lot of other Foo Fighters songs as well. I just think like when you think of rock songs, the the way I put myself in the mindset is like if I'm at a crowded bar and this song comes out and people go ape shit and they could they could jump to it, they could they could emote to it, and that's what I defined uh, Everlong is. Now, granted, I, tonight tonight is a very um, emotionally impactful song. I know we all have our personal stories to it, but that came on at a bar. I'd be like, oh, yeah, cool. They're doing a Smashing Pumpkins cover. I don't think I would get lost in the moment, but that's just me. And mm-hmm. and we'll go ahead and move on because I know Bob has his pick uh, waiting. And go ahead, Bob. What'd you pick? <laughs> well, I, I, I loved you all's picks. Again, uh, you all, I, I actually like Tonight Tonight and Everlong uh, more than my choice. Not saying I don't, I dislike my choice. I really love this song as well. But I think there's been a, there's a fine line, like I said before, between your favorite 90s rock song and the best 90s rock song. Uh, and to me, I, I think there's there was no argument to make. It was a clear cut winner from the beginning. It's Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit. That's right. A song that's ironically <laughs> named after deodorant that was a ripoff of the Pixies is the best yes. song of the 1990s. <laughs> Smells Like Teen Spirit. It's 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 the most influential rock song of the 90s. There's no argument against that. The song took grunge mainstream and its popularity shined a bright light on the next big genre of rock music, which is grunge. It's a song that defines the decade of, of headbangers and distortion, which I feel is the 90s. That's 90s rock. 
uh, the opening riff alone makes you want to bang your head and turn up the volume full blast. And I know you said you're talking about listening to the song at the bar. And if somebody plays it or it comes on, everybody's singing, everybody's banging their head. Everybody knows the lyrics as confusing and fucked as they may be. It, it's the greatest 90s rock song, uh, in, in my personal opinion, that I think was ever made. It, it's instantly recognizable from, from the opening guitar riff to Dave Grohl's drum beat to Kurt Cobain's that angst-filled tone to even the confusing lyrics like I just talked about. It, it, it all combines, you know, it leads to just the, the biggest uh, fucking rock hit of the 90s, man. And, and quite possibly one of the best ever. The 90s were a decade filled with, with just great rock bands and, and exceptional lead singers but but i honestly think that kurt cobain was the best at all of them uh, you can argue left and right but i mean his voice and his sound stood above all and, and that's why he's so remembered on this day 27 years later him passing away his voice is that tone that grit that growl that's 90s rock music when you think of grunge you think of kurt cobain and that sound you think of nirvana you think of smells like teen spirit they had it's just it, the song was just huge and it continues to be huge. And when you think of grunge music, you think of Nirvana. When you think of 90s rock, you think of grunge, you think of Nirvana and you think of Smells Like Teen Spirit. That was their coming out party. That The song became a huge success and won award after award in 92. And it's popularly really made Nirvana the, the, the biggest rock band, one of the biggest rock bands in the world. And, and, and ironically, its success led to Cobain and Nirvana actually, you know, resenting the song and refusing to play it at concert, which I thought was really grunge, right? It's really like fuck society and fuck everyone. They wanted to be this big, crazy rock band. And then everybody fell in love with that song. And they're like, fuck this. We don't want to play this anymore. Yeah. I, I, it's funny. I was watching videos and looking back at it. They would literally destroy amps and guitars to get out of playing it at the end of concert, which I feel is, is fucking awesome. One of the bands that became too big and try to humble its own self and say okay 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 we get it the song's great we got a lot of the cool shit but i mean that song became bigger than itself eh, bigger than the band actually thought it probably could they they, they have like i said they, they've always been more than just that one hit wonder uh, and there's no way that anyone can argue against that smells like teen spirit wasn't their biggest hit and they helped define rock and roll in the 1990s they're they're just they're just one of my favorite bands of all time and they put hit after hit after hit like joseph mentioned heart shape box i mean come as you are in bloom they just they put out so much great and influential influential excuse me music over their short time in the 90s and i think nirvana smells like teen spirit is just one of those songs that will live on forever as the sound of rock and roll. So you can't doubt that this song was the, the biggest influence of, of grunge music and the introduction. I still remember the first day I heard this song. I was it was September. I was a freshman in, in high school and coming back to, to my room. I, I put away all my um, my NWA cassettes and said, I'll see you guys later. I remember where I was. I was in geometry class when I heard uh, across the, the, the classroom when some dude was telling this other guy, hey, did you hear what happened to Kurt Cobain? He, he, you know, he died, he killed himself. So you remember all these things. I love Nirvana. I'm just a huge influence. First CD I ever brought was Nevermind. And it's it's tough to argue this song. And and I'm going to go with a, a very specific reason why I'm arguing. It. And it's not so much coming from me, but the lead singer himself, Kurt Cobain. I mean, it's, you know, anger is energy. 
And Kurt Cobain was a self-loathing, tortured genius. Uh, with this track, Nirvana, Nirvana excuse me, helped ignite the grunge craze, which was characterized by loud guitars, angst-ridden lyrics, and flannel. And, and you got to credit Butch Vig, who, who was a producer on, on Nevermind. He took all these songs and made them extra loud, um, just extra crazy. And, and he created a culture or helped to create a culture. Cobain said he wrote this song because he was feeling disgusted with my generation's apathy. And with my own apathy and spinelessness. So he was feeling like so many of us were feeling, but we had no, we had no funnel to express this. Uh, this was before, you know, mental health was, was a, a very serious issues and serious issue in school. This was before we had counts, extra counselors at school. This was something that spoke to so many of us. It was, you know, it was just a, a breath of fresh air that this guy was singing what we were all feeling. Uh, this song often shows up on lists of the best songs of the 90s and the best songs of all time. I mean, Cobain, however, and this is where I'm I'm going to go with my angle of, of it not being the, the best 90s rock song. Cobain, however, was often a contrarian. He actually had some negative feelings towards Smells Like Teen Spirit. The The final cut didn't sound like Kurt Cobain wrote and what he, what he envisioned. C Cobain told Rolling Stone he was almost embarrassed to play uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, as you mentioned, Bob, because everyone has focused on that song so much. The reason it gets a big reaction is because... People have seen it on MTV a million times. It's pounded into their brains. And Kurt Cobain mentioned, I think there are so many other songs that I've written that are as good, if not better than, than that song. Like Drain You, that's definitely as good as Smells Like Teen Spirit. I love the lyrics. I never get tired of playing it. Maybe if it was as big as Teen Spirit, I wouldn't have liked it so much. Of course, he's going to uh, you know, contradict himself. He hated the production of Nevermind. He said it sounded more like a like a Motley Crue song than it did a, a, a Sonic Youth or the Melvins or the Pixies because he, he thought it didn't sound punk rock and those were his influences. You can't mention Nirvana without, I think, their best performance was MTV's Unplugged. I mean, every song they played, there, I don't think they played Smelled Like Teen Spirit, but every song they played there was just magical. I thought the true essence of what Nirvana was as a band was contained in those two hours of of MTV's Unplugged. And Cobain actually felt that this song was cliched in some way. And, and Bob, you mentioned, you know, when you first hear the riffs, you you instantly recognize it. Well, it sounds a lot like More Than a Feeling by Boston as well when you, when you hear the opening riffs. And, you know, a lot of people gave Cobain, I don't know if they gave him crap, but there was a lot of influence on Boston, a lot of influence on the Pixies. And my problem calling this the best song, I think it's the most influential but calling this the best song of the 90s when the lead singer doesn't even see it as the best song in the album of his catalog, it just it just sort of puzzles me. I think it's a great song, but I will say this, and I know we're going to get to your points next, Joseph. It smells like Teen Spirit. I think a song has to endure. And I tried listening to it a few times. It's kind of taken the sort of uh, position that Hotel California and Freebird have, have taken with me. I, I, I think those songs are brilliant. But I can't listen to Hotel California anymore because it's too long. It's too drawn out. I can't listen to Freebird anymore. I can't listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit. If it comes out on the alternative radio stations or the 90s rock stations, I change it. It's not because I hate the song, but I just don't think the song endures. I think we're long past it. I think for a time for the zeitgeist, it was phenomenal. But I think when you're looking back at the 90s, I don't think Smells Like Teen Spirit is an enduring song that everybody's going to flock to. I think there are other songs that are underrated that are going to come to prominence as, as the time goes on and on. It's a wonderful song, but I just can't hear it anymore. And that's that's my that's my gripe. Joseph? Go ahead, go ahead Joseph, and then I'll, I'll respond. Okay. Well, you want to know an 
an enduring song it's tonight tonight now um, <laughs> uh, i agree with uh with uh, with what what randy said as far as it being most uh influential definitely i mean you think of 90s rock where the grunge era was i think at one point i mean a lot of people are going to probably think that 90s rock was just grunge and i think we've 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 made it clear it was it wasn't there was a it was there was grunge there was a 90s heavy metal 90s hard rock 90s alternative rock they were all great Bob, this song, it, it is very influential. It, I think it, it definitely kicked the door down on the 90s and brought this um, this new like anger attitude. And, and in a way, some people can say, I mean, I, I think so. Nirvana opened the door for maybe, you know, every other band that was just, you know, on the cusp of, of doing something great. And when Nirvana made it, you know, big with this with this this song, this album in particular, it gave everybody the the chance, like, hey, we do some heavy stuff too. We do some great stuff. We have an attitude. We have issues. We have something that we want to say. And so, I definitely think that it 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 opened the door. My only, I guess, if you want to call it an argument, because some people will say, well, that doesn't, you know, just because that happened doesn't mean shit, or it's not, you know, the band's fault. It came out, uh, what was it, 1991? Uh, I, I think. Yeah, that 91, this, it became, the, it would hit number one in 92. Came out in 90, the album was released in 91. Their second album, and you, it, I mean, you're talking about 91, where they were at the beginning of the 90s. Their second album in utero came out in 93. And I agree with him, uh, with Kurt's opinion that it, it, it it's not their best song. I love the song. Uh, it's not personally. I think Heart J Box is a great song. And you hear the difference and, you know, his complaints about this album and this song. You hear that in the production of Nevermind and what came out in In Utero. I think, and in no fault to the band itself, and unfortunately, we, we all know and it's well documented, Kurt had his struggles. He had his issues. And he had his problems. Depending on on, on your your thinking and your your you know your history of of reading what the circumstances around his death, we lost him early. We didn't because he this one came out in ninety one. The next album in ninety three. I think we just we didn't get enough. I think it came out early. I think it came out. It really opened the doors. I mean, it freaking kicked them down, blew that shit wide open, and we had the greatest generation of I think. Rock music to this day. I know a lot of people. I know we're gonna have listeners are gonna be like, "You kids don't know shit," and we're not kids. But you know, there's, there's probably some <laughs> listeners are gonna be like, "Y'all don't know shit." There's '70s rock and the '60s rock were the were the greatest, uh, or, or whatever. But I think because we had it so early in the '90s, and unfortunately, by no fault to the rest of the band themselves, and I'm not gonna blame it on Kurt either. We lost them early. We only got a, a, a small sample of what may or might have been because of that. I, I think because it happened so early, we had so much greater, or we had so much great songs that came out later and all the way up to the end of the year that, I mean, it, it I can't call it, I, I, I mean, I can, I can't, it, it, it's really up there. I, to call it the best song, uh, a 90s rock song, I think it's hard. I think it's, it's more, more influential than anything. Well, uh, be, well, before before you answer, well, me, just uh, just a quick, uh, uh, you know, it did break doors down, and I'll, I'll let you answer. Uh, before this, you know, we had talked about Inner Sandman being the first big rock song of the '90s. Inner Sandman hit number two on the Billboard charts. You'll never guess what song kept it out. Informer by Snow. 
So, but so Nirvana, so Nirvana knocked down doors where where artists like Snow weren't as prominent, weren't knocking rock songs out of the number one um, slots on Billboard charts. And I'll give you credit to that. But go ahead, Bob. Yeah, I was gonna say I think Informer was more of a novelty than anything. But uh, uh, going back to 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 really argue my point, I know you had mentioned that that Kurt Cobain, you know, he felt like he hated the song at a certain point. You got to remember, and he he blames it on MTV and, and on that music video. But what's crazy is he didn't even like the first cut. He actually went back and re-edited the entire video because he didn't like the way it came out, the way it looked, the way it sounded. So he went out, he went back in and re-edited it and made it to up to his standards, what he appreciated, what he liked and, and put it out there for MTV. So he, it's huge success. Yeah. You could say that, that MTV played the shit out of it, but it's a lot has to do with him. It's his song. It's his lyrics. It's his fucking video that he, he re-edited and reshot to put in his own image. And also, you got to remember, Kurt Cobain is probably one of the best front men who's ever been in rock and roll. But he was an introvert. He fucking hated people. He was uncomfortable on camera, around people, around crowds. So when you say like, you know, he he already has that, that feeling of like of uncomfortableness. So when it hit these these the charts and it became number one and it was worldwide and world renowned and the best rock song at that point in time he kind of had to crawl back into his shell and he kind of like hated it in a way you know to I me mean? because it's not what he wanted of course he wanted to be the, the next big rock star of course he wanted to be big and then he got all this fame and fortune from this one song and he resented it because that's not me and fuck that. And, and, you know, I don't even like that song. You know, I think he tried to push it away because it started to crowd into his personal space in my personal opinion. And, 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 and to go into Joseph's point, how it, it broke down doors. Yes. It had the biggest impact. And if you want to talk about impact, you, there's no way that anybody could argue that tonight, tonight or Everlong had a bigger impact on nineties rock music than, than smells like teen spirit did. And a matter of fact, I really, well, I mean, obvious choice, would we have Dave Grohl in the Foo Fighters if Kurt Cobain hadn't passed away? We don't know. But I mean, obviously, Dave Grohl's influenced by his time with Nirvana. Smashing Pumpkins, if Smells Like Teen Spirit, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, excuse me, didn't go mainstream and didn't take grunge and, and rock into this, this new era of, of 90s and dominating the 90s, would Smashing Pumpkins have had that success? Would their music? had had as much impact would we be talking about tonight tonight or 1979 or would they ble- be another blind melon which you know they sounded okay but they had a kind of a different sound and i don't feel like we would i think if 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 nirvana hadn't put out smells like teen spirit and hadn't had that huge success that grunge music and, and 90s music may have not been what it is today I think Galaxy was Blind Melon's best song. It, it did sound a lot like a Nirvana song, sort of. I I, I hated that No Rain song, but uh, Galaxy is a good song for anybody looking for a good Blind Melon cut. I Kurt Cobain was very introverted. Um, everything from the way he wore his hair to the layers of clothes to his big sunglasses to you know being behind a guitar. It's almost like he tried to creep behind that guitar. He was so lurched and hunched over with his posture. He, he had all the success Billy Corgan wish he had all the, all the attention. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think there's any doubt of the influence that, that Nirvana smells like teen spirit has. And I know this is a back and forth um, arg- argument platform. I do think that it's just very difficult to gauge 
a song that is so resentful resentful from the from the artist but i know that's kind of the cool rock star thing to do i'm sure he's not the first person that disowned and and disengaged with with something that made him or her popular but it also feels that it almost feels inauthentic to the point where i think cobain himself is almost saying this wasn't my song i'm yeah i'm a genius who did you know drain you and in bloom and and all these other songs but uh, smells like teen spirit was part of the machine that i hated so much and avoided for so long and it became this this huge song it became this conglomerate and it became lunch boxes and stickers and 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 fads at jc penny and that's not what he wanted it was an influence for all those things all those things but those things weren't rock and i think we're arguing the best rock song and i think this song was so commercialized and, and, and something that Cobain did it envision. That's why I think it keeps it away from being the ultimate rock song. I think it's the most influential. I just don't think it's the best. I think it became so commercial because of its success. I don't think it was commercial and that's why it was successful. I think it was successful and that's why it became so commercial and being on lunch boxes and t-shirts and all this other shit. And yeah, you said, you know, the machine may have gotten to it, but it was a song that he wrote a, when he was dating his, his his girlfriend, his girlfriend was actually the reason why he named it Smells Like Teen Spirit, because on his wall at a party one night, she wrote it on the wall, Kurt Smells Like Teen Spirit. And he actually got a big kick out of it because he thought that she was talking about like his voice maybe being that, you know, teen revolution and that that boycott against society when really yeah, right. she was just yeah. saying he smells like the deodorant, which is kind of fucking funny. Yeah. And it shows you how, how, uh, how distanced Kurt Cobain was, because I think all of us at that age knew that teen spirit was deodorant because you'd see it on commercials on mtv all the time but kurt cobain being who he was was totally distanced from that uh video was classic big takeoff of rock and roll high school by the ramones uh just kind of cool dirty and edgy it's a great song man i you know i i can't argue that i i can't listen to it anymore because i'm done listening to it i think i've, I've listened to this song hundreds and thousands of times and that's why i i just don't think it endures but i mean i can't argue its influence and i can't argue uh, Kurt Cobain's genius, especially on the day of his death. Yeah, Joseph. Any last thoughts? I just think uh, it's 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 interesting how you said uh, how uh, Billy Corgan wanted the success that that uh, Kurt Cobain had, and what's crazy is that whether you agree that he he had the success that Kurt Cobain had or not, did uh, Dave Grohl have that success because of what happened? Do you think that Dave Grohl got the success that Kurt Cobain had that? Corgan wanted as well. Do you think? Uh, I, I think we've 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 all uh, said, and you, you know, Randy mentioned it earlier. Corgan was a, a genius, and that was the issue. Uh, I think that's what you said. These guys, these frontmen or these songwriters that we picked. Um, I know it's a it's a band, and we're talking about that, but clearly, you know, we all it's the song, it's the the songwriter and the vocalist that's, that's singing the song and that, that wrote the song, and I guess it's more the lyrics that. That hit us and, and why we talk about it i know the drums bass guitar and all that comes into play but these guys were all in their own weird way geniuses i guess i mean kurt i think that was a the, the term that it was never i guess nothing it was never good enough for him i i, I kind of look at that yeah. that that like everything that he that he wrote we i mean we thought they were great songs but to him they weren't you know, I, I think he, he did say that he had he, he liked some of the songs, but this one in particular, he says that he hated. So nothing's ever good enough. Nothing. It's it's weird. You know how, how it can yeah. be said that nothing was good enough for him for Corgan. He was too good. He was too smart or too good for his own uh, 
well for, for his own well-being and and grow i guess in a way he's he's the most sane of them all i mean he he, he has his great career he's a great musician no doubt but it is kind of weird how this is the success that we mentioned Co- of each Co- of them Cobain's a lot like Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. Nothing was ever good enough. And and mm-hmm. it would, Pet Sounds is one of the best albums ever. And it's it's brilliant. And, you know, Brian Wilson still says it wasn't perfect. And I think that's a lot of that was Cobain's issues a lot and maybe drove him to something else. I'm sure there are other factors uh, to wrap it up, guys. Do you guys agree that the 90s rock is the best era of, of rock music? I do. You do? Most definitely. And I, I know people are going to say that, well, you all are biased because of, of your age. And we were yeah. we were kids of the 90s or 80s babies uh, or some of us <laughs> 80s babies, jerk, 90s kids. Uh, Randy was a, a Randall was a, a young teenage adult in the 90s. So, I mean, he was in the thick of it. Uh, we were uh, you know, just getting there. And and I know. Yeah. Like I said, people are going to probably say we're biased, but I think it was. I mean, I, I feel well, that way. Uh, and, uh, you know, being from the same de- decade and growing up the same years, because we're, we're roughly the same age, I have to strongly disagree. The 70s rock and roll was the best ever and will always be the best ever. And I know that's for mm-hmm. a later date and a later time to argue. Good but uh, the genres that were created in the 90s and the 80s were all offshoots of what came before it in the 70s. And I'll leave it at that. And Aerosmith is like, fuck it. We got the 70s and the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> and the 2000s <laughs> they're, they're good either way hey, that's an elevator <laughs> i i think we we could agree that i mean for for most of us especially listeners out there if you're listening if you clicked on this uh, i think most of us can agree that the 90s uh, they were the best times of our lives or the best time of our lives don't worry my wife is barely halfway through the most intense movie scene pod so she's not going to listen to this for a while but the 90s were were just the greatest decade I, I think a lot of us miss them dearly, but that is our show for today. I want to thank Bob and Joseph once again. We're going to watch the end of some college basketball here, but join us next time when our topic will be best coming of age movie. Next week, we'll be talking about the best coming of age movie. So let us know your thoughts. What is the best 90s rock song? Hit us up. You can reach us at formidableopponents at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at fopponents, or you can follow us on Instagram at formidable underscore opponents follow us you know we want to thank our listenership it's, it's been growing week after week we see people are still downloading the first few episodes we're catching on we have you know word of mouth our friends who are definitely going to invite on the future episodes just very happy to do this and we thank you guys for your listenership so for bob and joseph next week we'll be talking about coming of age movies we hope you guys join us next week and we'll see you next time on formidable opponents bye everybody